hey everybody and this week i would like to introduce one of our aera sig officers so tom is both the treasurer and the recruitment and retention officer he has many hats in our sig so uh so welcome tom and give everybody an introduction yeah thank you christian um so my name is tom dayhan i am the director of student academic success at rutgers university camden in addition to my roles I play with um, the AERA SIG 41. Um, and in that role, I do assessment work of our um, access and success programs, um, our learning center, a success coach program, our EOF and TRIO programs. Um, but in addition to that, I also conduct research on service learning and community engagement. Uh, I was the 2019 recipient of the IR Slice Dissertation Award um, for the research I did um, investigating community effects of service learning. And uh, I took what I think is a pretty novel approach to examining community effects by looking um, sort of at aggregate levels of uh, sort of community indicators like social mobility and social capital, and then also educational test scores. Uh, and so I sort of used um, the membership in the Campus Compact as a proxy for uh, whether a school was engaged or not, uh, and then sort of used several uh, large data sets that are sort of publicly available um, and examined whether or not there were relationships between the presence of um, Campus Compact institutions and uh, these community outcomes. Um, and so I, I take a, a you know, large correct quantitative approach um, right. using, you know, these large data sets um, and use econometric methods to sort of test, you know, hypotheses about whether or not there are relationships between the presence of these schools and um, community outcomes. So is your dissertation work your first, uh, your first work in service learning or experiential ed? So it is not actually. So I actually got interested in service learning by being a Campus Compact VISTA. Back in 2006, I served as uh, a VISTA at Drexel University in Philadelphia um, and sort of got my you know, feet wet in terms of coordinating service learning activities uh, and community partnerships between mm -hmm. faculty members at that university and um, our community partners in Philadelphia. Uh, and then in 2012, I moved over to Rutgers Camden, which is where I am now worked in the Office of Civic Engagement there, uh, doing very similar work sort um, supporting faculty members and, uh, and you know, connecting them with um, different engagement opportunities in the Kansas City community. So um, that was sort of my background in, in that work. And I got started in doing research on service learning and engagement because I was interested to see if any of this work we were doing had an effect on students. So originally I was interested in sort of the student effects um, and I've written a little bit um, about that, uh, examining sort of uh, different civic outcomes for students uh, from the community engagement work that we've done uh, in Camden. And then uh, as I was sort of going into my dissertation work, I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice to also examine sort of the other side and look and see if the community in any way benefits from this work um, and sort of came up with this idea to, to examine it sort of nationwide using these large data sets. So before we start looking at this, uh, this the way that you looked at it. So in 2006, what actually got you into, into doing service learning? Yeah, so I had uh, 
studied political science as an undergrad at the University of Florida. And I had never done a service learning class, right. but I was very interested in sort of this idea of civic participation and civic engagement. Uh, and so I had learned about the AmeriCorps program um, through a career fair at the university and sort of, you know, became interested in, and said, this is what I want to do after I graduate from college. And then uh, learned about sort of the Campus Compact VISTA program and sort of what they were doing. And to me, I, I'm sort of oriented towards doing sort of the behind the scenes type work of community engagement, right? And so like, um, you know, thinking about uh, how, how to make good relationships and sort of support faculty members in their teaching and learning and that kind of thing. Although I didn't know that was what I was going to be doing when I first uh, became a Campus Compact Vista, uh, it sort of really got me interested in, in doing this kind of work and, and going beyond simply, you know, thinking about civic engagement as just participation in, um, in you know, elections and things like this, you know, political participation, right. but really into a sort of broader concept of what civic engagement can mean uh, and getting, you know, other students involved, other, you know, young people involved in civic activities, you know, whether it's service or, you know, sort of political activities became something that I was really, really excited about. That's cool. So I, I every time we talk, I always forget that you're uh, a regator, which makes me very sad. <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. So, uh, so, so you made the move up to, up to Rutgers, over to Rutgers. Mm -hmm. And um, so what is service learning like there on campus? Yeah. So, uh, at Rutgers Camden, we actually call it engaged civic learning, and we take a broader sort of perspective about um, what that can look like. Um, so it, it can look like traditional service learning, uh, but it has also looked like bringing community partners into the classroom to engage with students and sort of um, lead discussions about community issues that are going on in, in Camden City from the community's perspective. Um, it's also, uh, you know, built around um, a sort of model similar to what they have at the University of Pennsylvania, sort of university-assisted community schools model. So we invest in a, a, a few partner schools nearby the campus um, and build out partnerships with different organizations in Camden City and sort of in this region right. um, around, uh, you know, bringing resources into those schools. So that, you know, includes some of our students participating in service learning and community engagement type activities uh, in the schools. So is that where your interest in, in the community came from then, wanting to see uh, was the work that you were doing in, in Camden beneficial to them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, this perspective of sort of trying to identify what that effect could be, right? Um, I thought, you know, you know certainly you can, you can look at it um, at, at, at that level, right? Like, at, you know, is the work that we're doing with this school having an impact on, you know, whether it's the student's test scores or is it, you know, on some, some other measure of, um, of, you know, sort of community outcome. But uh, as I was sort of going through the program I was going through, um, it's a program in public affairs and community development. And so um, a lot of the work that we were reading in terms of that had to do with these sort of larger scale studies of, um, of you know, community development and sort of indicators of a developing community. And so I was trying to think from that perspective about how could you apply that lens to a uh, service learning program and its effects on the community. And so that's sort of why I went, you know, much broader than sort of just the, the Camden community and the outcomes that we observe there. Right. So this is probably going to start to feel like a dissertation defense a little bit. 
right? So this is, so I think one of the huge gaps in service learning, right, is, is the impact that we have in the community, right? There's, there's not a lot yeah. of studies that focus on that, unfortunately. So, uh, so what did you find out? Yeah, so um, initially what I had started doing was um, sort of, I, I hate saying this, but it was sort of playing around with the data set. So um, you may or may not be familiar with Raj Chetty's work um, and the Equal Opportunity Project, uh, but essentially what they did, they got, um, de-identified tax records for like 30 years worth of uh, every American, like in the, you know, like every American's tax records for 30 years, right? And then they figured out sort of uh, based off of, you know, where a parent was and where their child was, um, whether or not that child went on to, to move up the social mobility ladder, if you will. Um, and so they published this data set uh, about how different places have better community uh, or I'm sorry, social mobility outcomes than other places, right? Uh, and then they tried to correlate that information with, uh, you know, lots of different, you know, observable variables. And one of those variables happened to be um, the number of colleges in a place under the assumption that like, if there are more colleges, then there are more opportunities for young people to grow up, go to college, right. and then earn a, earn a better living. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I did was I took that information and then disaggregated it and compared schools that were in the campus compact um, and schools that were not and sort of the number of those colleges in a given place. And it, it to me actually appeared that uh, places that had more uh, campus compact institutions per capita had better outcomes related to uh, social mobility. And, you know, I mean, that's a, could be a spurious correlation, right? Like, I mean, right. who knows what, what's causing that, right? right. Um, and in fact, like, what I decided to do from there was look at what, what are some of the other correlates of um, the number of campus compact institutions. And one of the things I found was, uh, you know, just based on their data, was that there's better social capital. Um, so like more uh, community institutions per capita in a place, um, you know, more participation in, in elections and things like that. Right. And then also there were better test scores. And so, you know, all right, that's At interesting. Level. Can, we, can we then, can we look at other data that is about those same topics, right? Social capital and right. educational test scores to see if there's actually a causal relationship when you look at uh, the, you know, these campus compact institutions and sort of how they engage with the communities. And so I was able to find some longitudinal data sets uh, to, to look at social capital and educational test scores and was actually able to identify a, a small but meaningful, I think, effect related to, um, you know, the the campus compact members in their communities uh, that I couldn't find with, you know, just all other colleges writ large. Um, and then also with the educational test scores, I used a, a distance measure to see like if the distance from a school district to a campus compact member might matter, right? You know, under the assumption that the closer the school is, the school district is to this, you know, college, the better the outcomes might be because they'd be more likely to partner. Um, and so, you know, just trying to, trying to tease out what might be, underlying these effects because, you know, again, that social mobility thing was sort of a fluke in, in just playing around with the data. But I really did, you know, after I sort of did these other analyses, come back and, and try and build a theory around this idea of anchor institutions and how, um, you know, colleges and, you know, universities may play a part in, um, you know, in improving social mobility. And, and it's potentially through these other mechanisms, through social capital through, you know, better test scores and things like that.
Right. So did you focus on uh, specific age groups for the test scores, like high school, middle school, elementary, preschool? Yeah. So I used the Stanford Education Data Archive, uh, which tracks students' test scores on um, you know, sort of the, the, the state assessments uh, in grades three through eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I used uh, the years 2009 through 2014. Um, and so that's you know, sort of a longitudinal data set uh, and enables you to sort of look at sort of growth over time um, relative to a specific cohort of students. And I think they used the fourth grade cohort in 2009. So all the scores are sort of relative to that. Right. And so you're able to sort of see um, if there is a, an effect, you know, across time, across, um, you know, within the district. Uh, and so that's sort of the analysis I did was within the district, were there improvements in the test scores um, based off of whether the, the campus compact institution was nearby that school district. Um, so using like sort of every school district in the country and every one of these <laughs> compact institutions and comparing all these effects to, to sort of get an aggregate of um, whether or not there could be um, a potential effect there. That's crazy. That's so much data. So, yeah. so did you look at, across uh, different regions of the U.S. as well? Were there any differences? Yeah, I didn't. And I think that actually is a, a pretty interesting idea. In fact, one of the things I was thinking I might take that, um, that research is, is down at a lower level, right? So like at, um, you know, sort of at this national level, uh, it's interesting, but it doesn't necessarily tell you too much about what practice or what sort of uh, thing is happening that might, you know, really improve sort of the practice of service learning. So I was thinking maybe, you know, examining some state results um, and, and trying to examine, you know, potentially if there's something interesting going on in that state um, that might help explain some of that um, relationship beyond just sort of the distance measure that I was using. Um, but that's sort of to come, I guess you could say. Yeah, because when I started uh, doing service learning in 2007, I think it was, uh, the Florida had a lot of money to do to do the work. I don't know if, if it was out of uh, the, the camp, Florida campus compact or if it was some other federal grant, I think it was. But uh, obviously that dried up. So, right. that, you know, so there's no federal funding for that now. And universities are doing it by themselves. I know the institution that I'm at does give faculty uh, quite a bit of money to do, well, before COVID anyway, to do, to do this work, right? And um, so it'd be interesting to see which regions of the, the country actually do have an emphasis on that. And is it because of that, that there's that interest, right? Yeah. And so in fact, uh, you know, to your point there, um, using these sort of longitudinal data sets, uh, there was some federal money uh, to support service learning. Back um, prior to 2012, there was this program called Learn and Serve America. I'd say that for me. And so I used that sort of um, discontinuity, if you will, right? Like when they cut off the funding federally, if there was some difference um, sort of before and after that. Uh, And and there was, in fact. Um, And so, in fact, I was able to find these positive effects sort of in the period when there was federal funding. Um, and not that the, the effect completely goes away, uh, but it's not nearly as large. And, and I mean, it's already, we're already talking about very small effects that I was able to measure. Right. Um, so it, it, the, you know, the larger the data set, the smaller effect you can detect. But, uh, you know, once you sort of, um, you know, 
look at what's happening after the, the money went away, it's no longer different from zero. So, um, you know, finding a statistically significant result in a large data set and then not finding it after the federal money went away, to me suggests that the federal money mattered. <laughs> um, so I, I do think that, uh, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, it, it did have some meaningful you know, policy implications to, to do this kind of research because you did have that um, sort of policy change. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned a little bit about what your, your future will be. So where else do you think uh, you're headed with your, with your research? Yeah. So um, here at Rutgers Camden, uh, we just started a project to, to continue to look at, at the, the service learning, but then also a broader experiential education sort of uh, perspective. So we're, you know, looking at courses that, um, that are, you know, sort of uh, clinical courses that have an experiential component, uh, some other courses that, that maybe are using a, a different pedagogy, like um, project-based learning or something like this that are, that are engaged learning, experiential learning activities, but are not necessarily in the service learning vein. Right. So um, what we're going to do is uh, ask students to, to take pre and post tests, but also follow them across time to see if they're taking multiple courses and sort of how their, um, their outcomes on, on different measures um, of student engagement change over time. Um, and so that's a project that we just launched this, this fall. Uh, which was not ideal because of COVID, uh, right. but it, it is something um, that we're hopeful, you know, sort of as we sort of track these students over time, um, we will be able to learn a little bit more about um, the effects on, on sort of their, perce their perceptions of, of their, their own engagement. But then also um, we, we requested the per permission from the students to, to examine their grades um, and sort of credit completion percentages and things like this to see if um, taking you know, more engaged learning activities actually does have effects that are beyond simply improving their, you know, sort of engagement themselves, but also, you know, is it actually improving their, their educational experience um, in, in tangible ways in terms of, of grade point averages or, or credit completion? Um, because we do think that there's probably a, a, a good reason to believe that that would happen um, based off of sort of the extant data that's, that's, you know, sort of research that you know, sort of national research, but then also um, just what we've seen at our campus level. Um, so being able to do this sort of longitudinally will help us answer that question. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so in terms of, of actually getting into to doing some more of my, uh, my larger scale research uh, right. beyond sort of um, what's happening on our campus, uh, I am sort of working on uh, the, one of the papers from the dissertation will come out this December. Um, that's the paper that looks at social capital. Uh, I've gotten reviews back on the educational data um, paper and, and sort of uh, have some new ideas about where I want to take that from, from here. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that the, you know, the Stanford data keeps updating every year in terms mm -hmm. of, of getting new records in. So um, continuing to, to sort of examine that and, um, and, and build that out further. Um, is, is sort of on the horizon with that data. Excellent, excellent. So if, uh, so if our listeners out there want to get involved with the work that you're doing, uh, how can they uh, get in contact with you? Yeah, so my email is tom.dayhan at camden.ruckers.edu. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I also uh, am on LinkedIn, so I, I welcome connections through that. Uh, and uh, 
yeah, I hope to hear from folks because I, I would, you know, love to hear how you're conceptualizing sort of the community outcomes um, work that you're doing and, and, you know, potential collaborations between sort of the larger data sets too. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah. Excellent. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AERA Service Learning and Experiential Education SIG podcast, co-hosted by Dr. Christian Winterbottom and Dr. Amanda Hall, and produced by Thamana Sohal. If you'd like to get in touch to be featured on the podcast or to be a sponsor of the podcast, please email slee041podcast at gmail.com. That's S-L-E-E-041-podcast at gmail.com.